Hey everyone, it's me, D.B. Spitzer. I'm just uh, here, hoping you're all doing well, staying safe, keeping your mouths covered, keeping, uh, keeping the, trying to keep the curve down instead of, like, straight in the other axis. You know, it's a good thing to uh, keep you inside and keep you occupied. Bunnyslippers.com. Oh my goodness, why would you want to go outside? There's so many different animals' novelty slippers that you can wear. I'm not making light of everything that's going on outside, but damn it, look at those slippers. They are nice. And, um, bunnyslippers.com. They're damn nice. No, uh, check out their Highland Cow slippers. They're shaggy bowls that look really cool. And I, I have to say, they're really nice and, really nice and warm. And they've got so many other things. They've got, uh, like, different things that you can put on your feet of things that you like. Bunnyslippers.com and FoundItemClothing.com, too. Great company. Uh, works in conjunction with Bunnyslippers.com to give you uh, some of the best 80s outfits that you can find on the internet. Just, just like Chris Knight from Real Genius, Val Kilmer's character. I've got the Revenge of the Nerd shirts that I love. Am I wearing one right now? No, I'm actually wearing an official uh, PGTTCM shirt that you can find at the store show, or uh, um, uh, show shop, at the show shop, the show store. Uh, you can, it's a direct link to our t-shirts that you can uh, buy to help support the show. Also, t-shirts for Articulate Warbling, new one coming up soon, and a uh, new episode coming up soon, new t-shirt coming up soon new t-shirts for uh new episodes for dave's underground goat shenanigans and new t-shirts already up i'm always coming up with new t-shirts idea and thank you so much for supporting the show by buying my t-shirts and founditemclothing.com's t-shirts and bunnyslippers.com and you know what we're probably going to have some new sponsors in august as the show grows and Gross. Thank you all new listeners. New listeners, we uh, kicked past the 2,000 mark in uh, followers officially on Podbean. We're still somewhere in the 30K daily listeners. Thank you so much for sharing and telling people about us. If you want to follow us, we are People's Cthulhu Podcast, Black Clock Audio Tales, everywhere else. Kind of poking around on Twitter here and there. Mostly on Instagram, doing Facebook. Always do Facebook, because it's on my phone. And yeah, so help the show, check out the other shows I produce, and here's some Algernon Blackwood. H.S.H. In the Mountain Club hut, to which he had escaped after weeks of gaiety in the capital, Delane, young traveling Englishman, sat alone and listened to the wind that beat the pines with violence. The firelight danced over the bare stone floor and raftered ceiling, giving the room an air of movement, and though the solid walls held steady against the wild spring hurricane, the cannonading of the wind seemed to threaten the foundations. For the mountain shook, the forest roared, and the shadows had a way of running everywhere, as though the little building trembled. Delane watched and listened. He piled the logs on. From time to time he glanced nervously over his shoulder, restless, half uneasy, as a burst of spray from the branches dashed against the window, 
or a gust of unusual vehemence shook the door overwearied with his long day's climb among impossible conditions he now realized in this mountain refuge his utter loneliness for his mind gave birth to that unwelcome symptom of true loneliness that he was not after all alone continually he heard steps and voices in the storm another wanderer another climber out of season like himself would presently arrive and sleep was out of the question until first he heard that knocking on the door almost he expected someone he went for the tenth time to the little window he peered forth into the thick darkness of the dropping night shading his eyes against the streaming pane to screen the firelight in an attempt to see if another climber perhaps a climber in distress were visible the surroundings were desolate and savage well named the devil's saddle black-faced precipices streaked with melting snow rose towering to the north where the heights were hidden in seas of vapor waterfalls poured into abysses on two sides a wall of impenetrable forest pressed up from the south and the dangerous ridge he had climbed all day slid off wickedly into a sky of surging cloud but no human figure was of course distinguishable for both the lateness of the hour and the elemental fury of the night rendered it most unlikely he turned away with a start as the tempest delivered a blow with massive impact against his very face then clearing the remnants of his frugal supper from the table he hung his soaking clothes at a new angle before the fire made sure the door was fastened on the inside climbed into the bunk where white pillows and thick austrian blankets looked so inviting and prepared finally for sleep i must be overtired he sighed after half an hour's weary tossing and went back to make up the sinking fire wood is plentiful in these climbers huts he heaped it on but this time he lit the little oil lamp as well realizing though unwilling to acknowledge it that it was not over fatigue that banished sleep but this unwelcome sense of expecting someone of being not quite alone for the feeling persisted and increased he drew the wooden bench close up to the fire turned the lamp as high as it would go, and wished unaccountably for the morning. Light was a very pleasant thing, and darkness now, for the first time since childhood, troubled him. It was outside, but it might so easily come in and swamp, obliterate, extinguish. The darkness seemed a positive thing. Already, somehow, it was established in his mind, this sense of enormous, aggressive darkness that veiled an undesirable hint of personality. Some shadow from the peaks or from the forest, immense and threatening, pervaded all his thought. This can't be entirely nerves, he whispered to himself. I'm not so tired as all that. And he made the fire roar. He shivered and drew closer to the blaze. I'm out of condition, that's part of it, he realized, and remembered with loathing the weeks of luxurious indulgence just behind him. For Delane had rather wasted his year of educational travel. 
straight from oxford and well supplied with money he had first saturated his mind in the latest continental thought the science of france the metaphysics and philosophy of germany and had been caught aside by the gaiety of capitals where the lights were not turned out at midnight by a sunday school police he had been surfeited physically emotionally and intellectually till his mind and body longed hungrily for simple living again and simple teaching above all the latter the road of excess leads to the palace of wisdom for certain temperaments as blake forgot to add of which delane was one for there was stuff in the youth and the reaction had set in with violent abruptness his system rebelled he cut loose energetically from all soft delights and craved for severity pure air solitude and hardship clean and simple conditions he must have without delay and the tonic of physical battling it was too early in the year to climb seriously for the snow was still dangerous and the weather wild but he had chosen this most isolated of all the mountain huts in order to make sure of solitude and had come without guide or companion for a week's strenuous life in wild surroundings and to take stock of himself with a view to full recovery and all day long as he climbed the desolate unsafe ridge his mind good wholesome natural symptom had reverted to his childhood days to the solid worldly wisdom of his church-going father and to the early teaching oh how sweet and refreshing in its literal spirit at his mother's knee now as he watched the blazing logs it came back to him again with redoubled force the simple precious old-world stories of heaven and hell of a paternal deity and of a daring subtle personal devil the interruption to his thoughts came with startling suddenness as the roaring night descended against the windows with a thundering violence that shook the walls and sucked the flame halfway up the wide stone chimney the oil lamp flickered and went out darkness invaded the room for a second and delane sprang from his bench thinking the wet snow had loosened far above and was about to sweep the hut into the depths and he was still standing trembling and uncertain in the middle of the room when a deep and sighing hush followed sharp upon the elemental outburst and in the hush like a whisper after thunder he heard a curious steady sound that at first he thought must be a footstep by the door it was then instantly repeated but it was not a step it was someone knocking on the heavy oaken panels a firm authoritative sound as though the new arrival had the right to enter and was already impatient at the delay the englishman recovered himself instantly realizing with keen relief the new arrival at last another climber like himself of course he said or perhaps the man who comes to prepare the hut for others the season has begun and he went over quickly without a further qualm to unbolt the door forgive he exclaimed in german as he threw it wide i was half asleep before the fire it is a terrible night come in to food and shelter for both are here and you shall share such supper as i possess 
and a tall cloaked figure passed him swiftly with a gust of angry wind from the impenetrable blackness of the world beyond on the threshold for a second his outline stood full in the blaze of firelight with the sheet of darkness behind it stately erect commanding his cloak torn fiercely by the wind but the face hidden by a low-brimmed hat and an instant later the door shut with resounding clamour upon the hurricane and the two men turned to confront one another in the little room delane then realized two things sharply both of them fleeting impressions but acutely vivid first that the outside darkness seemed to have entered and established itself between him and the new arrival and secondly that the stranger's face was difficult to focus for clear sight although the covering hat was now removed there was a blur upon it somewhere and this the englishman ascribed partly to the flickering effect of firelight and partly to the lightning glare of the man's masterful and terrific eyes which made his own sight waver in some curious fashion as he gazed upon him these impressions however were but momentary and passing due doubtless to the condition of his nerves and to the semi-shock of the dramatic even theatrical entrance delane's senses in this wild setting were guilty of exaggeration for now while helping the man remove his cloak speaking naturally of shelter food and the savage weather he lost his first distortion and his mind recovered sane proportion the stranger after all though striking was not of appearance so uncommon as to cause alarm the light and the low doorway had touched his stature with illusion he dwindled and the great eyes upon calmer subsequent inspection lost their original fierce lightning the entering darkness moreover was but an effect of the upheaving night behind him as he strode across the threshold the closed door proved it and yet as delane continued his quieter examination there remained he saw the startling quality which had caused that first magnifying in his mind his senses while reporting accurately insisted upon this arresting and uncommon touch there was about this late wanderer of the night some evasive lofty strangeness that set him utterly apart from ordinary men the englishman examined him searchingly surreptitiously but with a touch of passionate curiosity he could not in the least account for nor explain there were contradictions of perplexing character about him for the first presentment had been of splendid youth while on the face though vigorous and gloriously handsome he now discerned the stamp of tremendous age it was worn and tired while radiant with strength and health and power it wore as well this certain signature of deep exhaustion that great experience rather than physical experience brings moreover he discovered in it in some way he could not hope to describe man woman and child there was a big sad earnestness about it yet a touch of humour too patience tenderness and sweetness held the mouth and behind the high pale forehead intellect sat enthroned and watchful in it were both love and hatred longing and despair 
an expression of being ever on the defensive yet hugely mutinous an air both hunted and beseeching great knowledge and great woe delane gave up the search aware that something unalterably splendid stood before him solemnity and beauty swept him too his was never the grotesque assumption that man must be the highest being in the universe nor that a thing is a miracle merely because it has never happened before he groped while explanation and analysis both halted a great teacher thought fluttered through him or a mighty rebel a distinguished personality beyond all question who can he be there was something regal that put respect upon his imagination instantly and he remembered the legend of the countryside that ludwig of bavaria was said to be about when nights were very wild he wondered into his speech and manner crept unawares an attitude of deference that was almost reverence and with it whence came this other quality a searching pity you must be wearied out he said respectfully busying himself about the room as well as cold and wet this fire will dry you sir and meanwhile i will prepare quickly such food as there is if you will eat it for the other carried no knapsack nor was he clothed for the severity of mountain travel i have already eaten said the stranger courteously and with my thanks to you i am neither wet nor tired the afflictions that i bear are of another kind though ones that you shall more easily i am sure relieve he spoke as a man whose words set troops in action and delane glanced at him deeply moved by the surprising phrase yet hardly marvelling that it should be so he found no ready answer but there was evidently question in his look for the other continued and this time with a smile that betrayed sheer winning beauty as of a tender woman i saw the light and came to it it is unusual at this time his voice was resonant but not deep there was a ringing quality about it that the bare room emphasized it charmed the young englishman inexplicably also it woke in him a sense of infinite pathos you are a climber sir like myself delane resumed lifting his eyes a moment uneasily from the coffee he brewed over a corner of the fire you know this neighbourhood perhaps better at any rate than i can know it his german halted rather he chose his words with difficulty there was uncommon trouble in his mind i know all wild and desolate places replied the other in perfect english but with a wintry mournfulness in his voice and eyes for i feel at home in them and their stern companionship my nature craves as solace but unlike yourself i am no climber the heights have no attraction for you asked elaine as he mingled steaming milk and coffee in the wooden bowl marvelling what brought him then so high above the valleys it is their difficulty and danger that fascinate me always i find the loneliness of the summits intoxicating in a sense and regardless of refusal he set the bread and meat before him the apple and the tiny packet of salt then turned away to place the coffee-pot beside the fire again but as he did so a singular gesture of the other caught his eyes 
Before touching bowl or plate, the stranger took the fruit and brushed his lips with it. He kissed it, then set it on the ground and crushed it into pulp beneath his heel. And seeing this, the young Englishman knew something dreadfully arrested in his mind, for, as he looked away, pretending the act was unobserved, a thing of ice and darkness moved past him through the room, so that the pot trembled in his hand, rattling sharply against the hearthstone where he stooped. He could only interpret it as an act of madness, and the myth of the sad, drowned monarch wandering through this enchanted region pressed into him again unsought and urgent. It was a full minute before he had control of his heart and hand again. The bowl was half emptied, and the man was smiling, this time the smile of a child who implores the comfort of enveloping and understanding arms. I am a wanderer rather than a climber, he was saying, as though there had been no interval, for though the lonely summits suit me well, I now find in them only terror. My feet lose their sureness and my head its steady balance. I prefer the hidden gorges of these mountains and the shadows of the covering forests. My days, his voice drew the loneliness of uttermost space into its piteous accents, are passed in darkness. I can never climb again. He spoke this time, indeed, as a man whose nerve was gone forever. It was pitiable, almost to tears, and Delane, unable to explain the amazing contradictions, felt recklessly, furiously drawn to this trapped wanderer with the mien of a king, yet the air and speech sometimes of a woman, and sometimes of an outcast child. "'Ah, then, you have known accidents,' Delane replied, with outer calmness, as he lit his pipe, trying in vain to keep his hand as steady as his voice. "'You have been in one, perhaps. The effect, I have been told, is—' The power and sweetness in that resonant voice took his breath away as he heard it break in upon his own uncertain accents. "'I have fallen,' the stranger replied impressively, as the rain and wind wailed past the building mournfully, yet a fall that was no part of any accident, for it was no common fall.' the man added with a magnificent gesture of disdain while yet it broke my heart in two he stooped a little as he uttered the next words with a crying pathos that an outcast woman might have used i am he said engulfed in intolerable loneliness i can never climb again with a shiver impossible to control half of terror half of pity delane moved a step nearer to the marvellous stranger the spirit of Ludwig, exiled and distraught, had gripped his soul with a weakening terror. But now sheer beauty lifted him above all personal shrinking. There seemed some echo of lost divinity, worn, wild, yet grandiose, through which this significant language strained towards a personal message for himself. "'In loneliness?' he faltered, sympathy rising in a flood for my kingdom that is lost to me forever met him in deep throbbing tones that set the air on fire for my imperial ancient heights that jealousy took from me the stranger paused with an indescribable air of broken dignity and pain 
outside the tempest paused a moment before the awful elemental crash that followed a bellowing of many winds descended like artillery upon the world a burst of smoke rushed from the fireplace upon them both shrouding the stranger momentarily in a flying veil and delane stood up uncomfortable in his very bones what can it be he asked himself sharply who is this being that he should use such language he watched alarm chase pity aware that the conversation held something beyond experience but the pity returned in greater and greater flood and love surged through him too it was significant he remembered afterwards that he felt it incumbent upon himself to stand curious too how the thought of that mad drowned monarch haunted memory with such persistence some vast emotion that he could not name drove out his subsequent words the smoke had cleared and a strange high stillness held the world the rain streamed down in torrents isolating these two somehow from the haunts of men and the englishman stared then into a countenance grown mighty with woe and loneliness there stood darkly in it this incommunicable magnificence of pain that mingled all with the pity he had felt the kingly eyes looked clear into his own completing his subjugation out of time i would follow you ran his thought upon its knees follow you with obedience forever and ever even into a last damnation for you are sublime you shall come again into your kingdom if my own small worship then blackness sponged the reckless thought away he spoke in its place a more guarded careful thing i am aware he faltered yet conscious that he bowed of standing before a great one of some world unknown to me who he may be i have but the privilege of wondering he has spoken darkly of a kingdom that is lost yet he is still i see a monarch and he lowered his head and shoulders involuntarily for an instant then as he said it the eyes before him flashed their original terrific lightnings the darkness of the common world faded before the entrance of an outer darkness from gulfs of terror at his feet rose shadows out of the night of time and a passionate anguish as of sudden madness seized his heart and shook it he listened breathlessly for the words that followed it seemed some wind of unutterable despair passed in the breath from those non-human lips i am still a monarch yes but my kingdom is taken from me for i have no single subject lost in a loneliness that lies out of space and time i am become a throneless ruler and my hopelessness is more than i can bear the beseeching pathos of the voice tore him in two the deity himself it seemed stood there accused of jealousy of sin and cruelty the stranger rose the power about him brought the picture of a planet throned in mid-heaven and poised beyond assault not otherwise boomed the startling words as though an avalanche found syllables could i now show myself to you delane was trembling horribly he felt the next word slip off his tongue unconsciously the shattering truth had dawned upon his soul at last then the light you saw and came to he whispered was the light in your heart that guided me came the answer sweet 
beguiling as the music in a woman's tones the light of your instant brief desire that held love in it he made an opening movement with his arms as he continued smiling like stars in summer for you summoned me summoned me by your dear and precious belief how dear how precious none can know but i who stand before you his figure drew up with an imperial air of proud dominion his feet were set among the constellations the opening movement of his arms continued slowly and the music in his tones seemed merged in distant thunder for your single brief belief he smiled with the grandeur of a condescending emperor shall give my vanished kingdom back to me and with an air of native majesty he held his hand out to be kissed the black hurricane of night the terror of frozen peaks the yawning horror of the great abyss outside all three crowded into the Englishman's mind with a slashing impact that blocked delivery of any word or action. It was not that he refused, it was not that he withdrew, but that life stood paralyzed and rigid. The flow stopped dead for the first time since he had left his mother's womb. The god in him was turned to stone and rendered ineffective. For an appalling instant, God was not. He realized the stupendous moment. Before him, drinking his little soul out merely by his presence, stood one whose habit of mind, not alone his external accidents, was imperial with black prerogative before the first man drew the breath of life. August procedure was native to his inner process of existence. The stars and confines of the universe owned his sway before he fell to trifle away the dreary little centuries by haunting the minds of feeble men and women, by hiding himself in nursery cupboards, and by grinning with stained gargoyles from the roofs of city churches. And the lad's life stammered, flickered, threatened to go out before the enveloping terror of the revelation. "'I call to you, but call to you in play,' thought whispered somewhere, deep below the level of any speech, yet not so low that the audacious sound of it did not crash above the elements outside. "'For till now you have been to me but a coated bogey, that my brain disowned with laughter, and my heart thought picturesque, if you are here, alive, may God forgive me for my... It seemed as though tears, the tears of love and profound commiseration, drowned the very seed of thought itself. A sound stopped him that was like a collapse in heaven. Some crashing as of a ruined world passed splintering through his little timid heart. He did not yield, but he understood with an understanding which seemed the delicate first sign of yielding the seductiveness of evil the sweet delight of surrendering the will with utter recklessness to those swelling forces which disintegrate the heroic soul in man he remembered it was true in the reaction from excess he had definitely called upon his childhood's teaching with a passing moment of genuine belief and now that yearning of a fraction of a second bore its awful fruit. 
the luscious capitals where he had rioted passed in a coloured stream before his eyes the wine the woman and the song stood there before him clothed in that power which lies insinuatingly disguised behind their little passing show of innocence their glamour donned this domino of regal and virile grandeur he felt entangled beyond recovery the idea of god seemed sterile and without reality the one real thing the one desirable thing the one possible strong and beautiful thing was to bend his head and kiss those imperial fingers he moved noiselessly towards the hand he raised his own to take it and lift it towards his mouth when there arose in his mind with startling vividness a small soft picture of a child's nursery a picture of a little boy kneeling in scanty nightgown with pink upturned soles and asking ridiculous audacious things of a shining figure seated on a summer cloud above the kitchen garden walnut tree the tiny symbol flashed and went its way yet not before it had lit the entire world with glory for there came an absolutely routing power with it in that half-forgotten instant's craving for the simple teaching of his childhood days belief had conjured with two immense traditions this was the second of them the appearance of the one had inevitably produced the passage of its opposite and the hand that floated in the air before him to be kissed sank slowly down below the possible level of his lips he shrank away though laughter tempted something in his brain there still clung about his heart the first aching pitying terror but sighs retreated dwindling somehow as it went the wind and rain obliterated every other sound yet in that bare unfurnished room of a climber's mountain hut there was a silence above the roar that drank in everything and broke the back of speech in opposition to this masquerading splendour delane had set up a personal paternal deity i thought of you perhaps cried the voice of self-defence but i did not call to you with real belief and by the name of god i did not summon you for your sweetness as your power sickens me and your hand is black with the curses of all the mothers of the world whose prayers and tears he stopped dead overwhelmed by the cruelty of his reckless utterance and the other moved towards him slowly it was like the summit of some peaked and terrible height that moved he spoke he changed appallingly but i claim he roared your heart i claim you by that instant of belief you felt for by that alone you shall restore to me my vanished kingdom you shall worship me in the countenance was a sudden awful power but behind the stupefying roar there was weakness in the voice as of an imploring and beseeching child again deep love and searching pity seared the englishman's heart as he replied in the gentlest accents he could find to master and i claim you he said by my understanding sympathy and by my sorrow for your god-forsaken loneliness and by my love for no kingdom built on hate can stand against the love you would deny words failed him then as he saw the majesty fade slowly from the face 
grown smaller and shadowy. One last expression of desperate energy in the eyes struck lightnings from the smoky air, as with an abandoned movement of the entire figure he drew back, it seemed, towards the door behind him. Delane moved slowly after him, opening his arms. Tenderness and big compassion flung wide the gates of love within him. He found strange language, too, although actual spoken words did not produce them further than his entrails where they had their birth. Toys in the world are plentiful, sire, and you may have them for your masterpiece of play, but you must seek them where they still survive in the churches and in isolated lands where thought lies unawakened for they are the children's blocks of make-believe whose palaces like your once tremendous kingdom have no true existence for the thinking mind and he stretched his hands toward him with the gesture of one who sought to help and save then paused as he realized that his arms enclosed sheer blackness with the emptiness of wind and driving rain for the door of the hut stood open and delane balanced on the threshold facing the sheet of night above the abyss he heard the waterfalls in the valley far below the forest flapped and tossed its myriad branches cold draughts swept down from spectral fields of melting snow above and the blackness turned momentarily into the semblance of towers and bastions of thick beaten gloom above one soaring turret then a space of sky appeared swept naked by a violent lost wind an opening of purple into limitless distance for one second amid the vapours it was visible empty and untenanted the next there sailed across its small diameter a falling star with an air of slow and endless leisure yet at the same time with terrific speed it dived behind the ragged curtain of the clouds and the space closed up again blackness returned upon the heavens and through this blackness plunging into that abyss of woe whence he had momentarily risen the figure of the marvellous stranger melted utterly away delane for a fleeting second was aware of the earnestness in the sad imploring countenance of its sweetness and its power so strangely mingled of its mysterious grandeur and of its pathetic childishness but already it was sunk into interminable distance a star that would be baleful yet was merely glorious passed on its endless wandering among the teeming systems of the universe behind the fixed and steady stars secure in their appointed places it set it vanished into the pit of unknown emptiness it was gone god help you sighed across the sea of wailing branches echoing down the dark abyss below god give you rest at last for he saw a princely nay an imperial being homeless forever and forever wandering hunted as by keen remorseless winds about a universe that held no corner for his feet his majesty unworshipped his reign a mockery his court unfurnished and his courtiers mere shadows of deep space and a thin grey dawn stealing up behind clearing summits in the east crept then against the windows of the mountain hut 
it brought with it a treacherous sharp air that made the sleeper draw another blanket near to shelter him from the sudden cold for the fire had died out and an icy draught sucked steadily beneath the doorway end of story eleven a bit of wood he found himself in mirren with some cousins who had various slight ailments but being rich and imaginative had gone to a sanatorium to be cured but for its sanatoria mirren might be a cheerful place their ubiquity reminds a healthy man too often that the air is really good being well enough himself except for a few mental worries he went to a gasthouse in the neighborhood in the sanatorium his cousins complained bitterly of the food the ignorant sisters the inattentive doctors and the idiotic regulations generally which proves that people should not go to a sanatorium unless they are really ill however they paid heavily for being there so felt that something was being accomplished and were annoyed when he called each day for tea and told them cheerfully how much better they looked which proved again that their ailments were slight and quite curable by the local doctor at home with one of the ailing cousins a rich and pretty girl he believed himself in love it was a three weeks business and he spent his mornings walking in the surrounding hills his mind reflective analytical and ambitious as with a man in love he thought of thousands of things he mooned once for instance he paused beside a rivulet to watch the buttercups dip and asked himself will she be like this when we're married so anxious to be well that she thinks fearfully all the time of getting ill for if so he felt he would be bored he knew himself accurately enough to realize that he never could stand that yet money was a wonderful thing to have and he already thirty-five had little enough am i influenced by her money then he asked himself and so went on to ask and wonder about many things besides for he was of a reflective temperament and his father had been a minor poet and doubt crept in he felt a chill he was not much of a man perhaps thin-blooded and unsuccessful rather a dreamer too into the bargain he had a hundred pounds a year of his own and a position in a philanthropic institution due to influence with a nominal salary attached he meant to keep the latter after marriage he would work just the same nobody would ever say that of him and as he sat on the fallen tree beside the rivulet idly knocking stones into the rushing water with his stick he reflected upon those banal truisms that epitomize two-thirds of life the way little unimportant things can change a person's whole existence was the one his thought just now had fastened on his cousin's chill and headache for instance caught at a gloomy picnic on the campagna three weeks before had led to her going into a sanatorium and being advised that her heart was weak that she had a tendency to asthma that gout was in her system and that a treatment of x-rays radium sun-baths and light-baths violet rays no meat complete rest with big daily fees to experts with european reputations were imperative 
from the chill sitting a moment too long in the shadow of a forgotten patrician tomb he reflected has come all this all this including his doubts as to whether it was herself or her money that he loved whether he could stand living with her always whether he need really keep his work on after marriage in a word his entire life and future and her own as well all from that tiny chill three weeks ago and he knocked with his stick a little piece of sawn-off board that lay beside the rushing water upon that bit of wood his mind his mood then fastened itself it was triangular a piece of sawn-off wood brown with age and ragged once it had been part of a triumphant hopeful sapling on the mountains then when thirty years of age the men had cut it down the rest of it stood somewhere now at this very moment in the walls of a house this extra bit was cast away as useless it served no purpose anywhere it was slowly rotting in the sun but each tap of the stick he noticed turned it sideways without sending it over the edge into the rushing water it was obstinate it doesn't want to go in he laughed his father's little talent cropping up in him but by jove it shall and he pushed it with his foot but again it stopped stuck endways against a stone he then stooped picked it up and threw it in it plopped and splashed and went scurrying away downhill with the bubbling water even that scrap of useless wood he reflected rising to continue his aimless walk and still idly dreaming even that bit of rubbish may have a purpose and may change the life of someone somewhere and then went strolling through the fragrant pine woods crossing a dozen similar streams and hitting scores of stones and scraps and fir cones as he went till he finally reached his guest house an hour later and found a note from her we shall expect you about three o'clock we thought of going for a drive the others feel so much better it was a revealing touch the way she put it on the others he made his mind up then and there thus tiny things divide the course of life that he could never be happy with such an affected creature he went for that drive sat next to her consuming beauty proposed to her passionately on the way back was accepted before he could change his mind and is now the father of several healthy children and just as much afraid of getting ill or of their getting ill as she was fifteen years before the female of course matures long long before the male he reflected thinking the matter over in his study once and that scrap of wood he idly set in motion out of impulse also went its destined way upon the hurrying water that never dared to stop proud of its new-found motion it bobbed down merrily spinning and turning for a mile or so dancing gaily over sunny meadows brushing the dipping buttercups as it passed through vineyards woods and under dusty roads in neat cool gutters and tumbling headlong over little waterfalls until it neared the plain and so finally it came to a wooden trough that led off some of the precious water to a sawmill where bare-armed men did practical and necessary things at the parting of the ways its angles delayed it for a moment undecided which way to take it wobbled and upon that moment's wobbling hung tragic issues 
issues of life and death unknowing yet assuredly not unknown it chose the trough it swung light-heartedly into the tearing sluice it whirled with the gush of water towards the wheel banged spun trembled caught fast in the side where the cogs just chanced to be and abruptly stopped the wheel at any other spot the pressure of the water must have smashed it into pulp and the wheel have continued as before but it was caught in the one place where the various tensions held it fast immovably it stopped the wheel and so the machinery of the entire mill it jammed like iron the particular angle at which the double-handed saw held by two weary and perspiring men had cut it off a year before just enabled it to fit and wedge itself with irresistible exactitude the pressure of the tearing water combined with the weight of the massive wheel to fix it tight and rigid and in due course a workman it was the foreman of the mill came from his post inside to make investigations he discovered the irritating item that caused the trouble he put his weight in a certain way he strained his hefty muscles he swore and the scrap of wood was easily dislodged he fished the morsel out and tossed it on the bank and spat on it the great wheel started with a mighty groan but it started a fraction of a second before he expected it would start he overbalanced clutching the revolving framework with a frantic effort shouted swore leaped at nothing and fell into the pouring flood in an instant he was turned upside down sucked under drowned he was engaged to be married and had put by a thousand kronen in the tiroler sparbank he was a sober and hard-working man there was a paragraph in the local paper two days later the englishman asking the porter of his gasthaus for something to wrap up a present he was taking to his cousin in the sanatorium used that very issue as he folded its crumpled and recalcitrant sheets with sentimental care upon the precious object his eye fell carelessly upon the paragraph being of an idle and reflective temperament he stopped to read it it was headed unglücksfall and his poetic eye inherited from his foolish rhyming father caught the pretty expression fließendes wasser he read the first few lines some fellow with a picturesque tyrolese name had been drowned beneath a mill-wheel he was popular in the neighbourhood it seemed he had saved some money and was just going to be married it was very sad our reader's sympathy was with him and being of a reflective temperament the englishman thought for a moment while he went on wrapping up the parcel he wondered if the man had really loved the girl whether she too had money and whether they would have had lots of children and been happy ever afterwards and then he hurried out towards the sanatorium i shall be late he reflected such little unimportant things delay one end of story twelve